0: You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ.
1: Welcome to the BMJ podcast. This week, we'll hear about how working shifts can affect your cardiovascular health.
2: produces a, a really compelling picture um, that shift work um, is related to um, adverse cardiovascular events.
1: But before that, I'm joined on the line by Sina Fazel who's Wellcome Trust Senior Research Fellow of Clinical Sciences in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Oxford. He and his colleagues have published online this week a paper looking at the accuracy of tools used to predict violent behaviour. Thanks for joining us, Sina. No problem. Uh, you've been looking at these risk assessment tools and evaluating their predictive value. Um, what, what tools were you looking at and where were they, and how were they originally developed?
0: So these tools were developed, I would say, probably over the last 30 years. They've been developed, and there's really now quite a lot of them on the market. Over 150 we counted in a separate piece of work we did last year. Um, But we've focused on the nine most commonly used. They're um, a pretty mixed bunch, but they all are driven by various concerns about Doing this thing called risk assessment for violence in a more structured, and more sort of transparent, and ideally a more accurate way.
1: Yeah, you said in the paper that the um, the prevalence is very high. So 60% in general psychiatric hospitals and 80% in forensic psychiatric ones. So what's driving the the use of these?
0: I think I, mean, I think partly is just a culture of risk aversion, widely, you know, more widely in in societies. So very little tolerance of things going wrong. Um, So I think there have been a number of individual cases which have got a lot of publicity um, and have reflected quite badly on both clinical and criminal justice agencies. And I think there was an understandable need for these organizations to come up with something that they could say, look, we've done this, you know, we've followed the most up-to-date and most evidence-based practice, and look, you know, we're trying our best, mm. and that that must be part of it. And I think you know there there is this sort of veneer of scientific accuracy about using these checklists, and I think that appeals also to judges and other legal legal bodies. Of,
1: of course. Now to talk about that sort of veneer of evidence base, there, you've done the systematic review and meta-analysis. And obviously all the methods for that are online, for people to to have a look at how you did that exactly. But um, could you just let us know what you found as a sort of bottom line?
0: I think the bottom line is that it it depends on how these tools are used. So they can identify individuals at low risk quite well, but they are not particularly good. um, If they are going to be used as sole determinants of making decisions about how long someone should be in prison or in hospital or when they should be released. So, for instance, if a tool predicts someone to be at moderate or high risk, of those people it predicts, only 40% actually went on to commit crime. Mm. That isn't great. So for, for that, for, for identifying People who are at higher risk, and then and then determining sentencing or release or discharge decisions on the basis of that. There, we thought um, that that needs to be supported by other approaches. It can't just use these instruments. But we thought that overall, you know, they they work quite well at identifying low risk. And overall, if you take all the different ways of assessing outcomes, you know, they. Um, they do better than, than, than chance, and they probably do better than not having these instruments. But I don't think that the current evidence suggests that they uh, can be used alone, and, they, and I don't think they can be used to make really quite important decisions about how long someone stays in prison or hospital, when they should be discharged. It mm. can't be the, the, the sole basis of those decisions.
1: Um, is there any evidence out there that they are being used as the sole basis for, for making that kind of decision?
0: Well, I'm not entirely sure. Um, they, I think that there there will be lots of individual cases uh, where, and I've had anecdotally lots of individual cases, where people go to court and they get an opinion by an individual, usually a psychologist or psychiatrist, who says, you know, on the basis of my Use of this one particular instrument. This individual has X percent chance of reoffending, and that must impact on you know the, the decision that's made about how long they stay in prison. Um, so I think there's that, that, quite a lot of anecdotal evidence out there that they are being used quite widely um, in criminal justice settings. I think in in clinical settings, I think people are a little bit more. Um, uh, um, careful about how they're being used i think and and in clinical settings they often are used as um, a way of trying to think about what we can do to reduce risk so they can i think in forensic psychiatry for instance they often use to uh, remind people about w- what we can do the problem with that of course is a very expensive way of doing it because these tools are you have to often purchase them. You need training. You need um, the training needs to be updated. So it's a very expensive way of of, uh, of following a checklist. But nevertheless, they they can be used as a way of informing management or treatment, which can be quite useful, particularly for in in psychiatry. I think
1: absolutely. Well, Sina Fazal, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And that paper is available online for free on bmj.com. Now, to shift work. I'm joined on the line by Dan Hackam, who's Associate Professor at the Department of Medicine at Western University in Canada. He and his colleagues have looked at how shift work may affect your cardiovascular health. Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. In your paper, you say that shift work obviously can cover a a myriad of things, different working patterns and so on. How did you define it for your research?
2: We defined it uh, according to the definition used by Statistics Canada as uh, employment in any work schedule that is not a regular daytime schedule, i.e., approximately 9 to uh, 5 p.m. So that could include uh, evening shifts, night shifts, rotating shifts, uh, split shifts, on-call shifts or casual shifts, 24-hour shifts, irregular uh, schedules, and uh, any other non-day schedules.
1: Okay, so that's still quite a a broad brush then. Right. You've done this systematic review and meta-analysis, and you've narrowed it down to 34 Papers which covered a population of about 2 million. Um, Correct. How good was the data on, on that population you know, with regard to age or lifestyle factors, anything that might uh, influence your results?
2: All but two of the 34 uh, studies adjusted for uh, various variables such as age, uh, sex, and other um, uh, commonly adjusted uh, covariates. Uh, Many of the studies adjusted for uh, additional variables such as socioeconomic status and uh, smoking status and our results were uh, quite consistent across analyses uh, both unadjusted and uh, fully adjusted.
1: And of these 34 papers which Countries were they in? Um, Were they kind of clustered together, or was it fairly evenly spread around the world?
2: uh, It's an important question that you ask because the uh, perspective, really, of the study setting is really uh, developed countries rather than uh, developing countries. So we didn't find any studies from the so-called BRIC countries, which are you know real economically growing engines of the future. But there's no reason to suspect that uh, our findings wouldn't apply to industrializing uh, countries although we must uh, say that the focus of or settings of the studies included was the industrialized world
1: or developed world so once you crunched all that data down what did you find what were the the results
2: So we found that uh, shift work was uh, associated with a relative risk increase of 23% for myocardial infarction and a 5% increased risk of ischemic stroke. Uh, We also found that coronary events increased with a a risk ratio increase of 24%, uh, although there was significant heterogeneity for coronary events although no heterogeneity was evident for uh, heart attacks or ischemic strokes. Um, To put it into um, a population-wide perspective, based on the prevalence of shift work, uh, at least in Canada, we uh, would estimate that uh, about 7% of heart attacks and 1.6% of uh, ischemic strokes are uh, directly related to shift work. Uh, So. Pretty significant uh, impacts at the uh, population level just because shift work is such a prevalent uh, employment pattern. And as we move more and more towards a 24 7 uh, society with services open uh, throughout the night and at other odd hours, uh, particularly in urban uh, and industrializing and industrialized countries, uh, we think this is going to be even more of a problem in
1: the future. And how confident were you with those results? Uh,
2: We think that our data, when uh, put into perspective with uh, data from other converging lines of evidence, such as uh, laboratory animals and also experimental studies where halter monitoring to uh, nurses and doctors who are doing an overnight shift and measured uh, uh, heart rate variability, blood pressure, Uh, markers of sympathetic uh, nervous system activation produces a a really compelling picture um, that shift work um, is related to um, adverse cardiovascular events. Of course, we don't have randomized control trials. Uh, One of the interesting things that we found is that uh, prospective cohort studies, which are generally thought to be the highest Uh, level of epidemiological evidence uh, showed the strongest association uh, with risk, uh, with a risk ratio of 1.32, than did uh, retrospective cohort studies or case control studies. So, we didn't believe in methodological problems were accounting for this phenomenon.
1: Were you able to do any subgroup analysis, you know, perhaps looking at types of shift work or age or or ethnic profile, um, to see if there are any particularly vulnerable groups within that population?
2: That's a really good question. Um, In terms of the uh, types of shift workers who may be most vulnerable to events, we did find the the highest uh, point estimate for uh, night shifts. Uh, with a risk ratio of 1.41, but all types of uh, shift work were associated with an increased risk of um, coronary events. Uh, The only exception which was not statistically significant was evening uh, shift workers, um, those who work uh, after 5 o'clock but end before midnight. Uh, So there was quite a consistent uh, uh, risk increase across uh, all types of Of shift uh, work.
1: And I suppose the 64 million dollar question is what's causing all this? Um, You said that lots of factors were already accounted for in the data that you'd used Um, but do you think this is down then to some sort of physiological stress associated with disruption of circadian rhythms Um, or is it more towards the sort of poor diet, lack of exercise, um, things that would be associated with shift work? My personal
2: uh, view is it's uh, a combination of factors including circadian rhythm disruption Uh, We're just not hardwired to work in the middle of the night. If you look at uh, human evolution, the industrial society is uh, perhaps 200 years old, maybe pushing uh, a bit more than 200 years in the United Kingdom, certainly. But uh, we've been uh, evolving as a species for uh, about 2.6 million years. So in terms of our genetic evolution, we were likely sleeping in a a shelter in the dark in the middle of the night with no uh, exposure to electric light, which we know suppresses melatonin uh, secretion and raises blood pressure and heart rate. The other thing is that we would normally be fasting at night because we would be asleep. But if you're a night shift worker um, who's doing an 8 or 10 or 12 hour shift, you have no choice but to eat at night while the the body would normally be uh, uh, fasting and uh, conserving uh, energy uh, during the recovery phase uh, while asleep. Um, the other possibility of course is uh, lifestyle factors as you mentioned. Uh, uh, it is hard to um, Eat decently in the middle of the night uh, unless you're you know very good about bringing food from home and have the facilities to prepare it at night you're likely to be eating uh, fast food or junk food if you're a night shift uh, uh, worker the last uh, possibility is that this is uh, related to selection of unhealthy individuals into shift work Now, uh, many of the studies did uh, adjust for uh, lifestyle factors like smoking, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, sedentary behavior, and still found uh, an increased uh, risk with shift work. Uh, But it's possible that uh, shift work represents a marker rather than a cause of uh, cardiovascular events because it might be selecting people who are less well-off to begin with.
1: What do you think this means for public health uh, in Canada and perhaps elsewhere around the world?
2: First of all, doctors need to be aware of uh, this uh, association. They should uh, be inquiring about employment history and uh, whether people are shift workers or day workers, and they may want to pay closer attention to cardiovascular risk factors in their patients who are shift workers in in order to avert a future cardiovascular event. Uh, We think employers should be giving uh, shift workers adequate breaks at night. They should be encouraging relaxation techniques during those breaks, and they could even adopt an approach of implementing more ergonomically uh, rational shift scheduling systems so people are not constantly disrupting their circadian rhythms by swinging back and forth between, say, day shifts and night shifts. If you are a shift worker yourself I think you should be very cognizant of your cardiovascular risk factors you should get your blood pressure screened Uh, you should get your waist circumference measured your cholesterol and fasting glucose checked Uh, you should uh, try to adopt a healthy lifestyle uh, which means a healthy diet it means exercising uh, uh, during those times where you're not working if possible and stopping smoking completely if you do smoke uh, so all three tiers, doctors, employers, and uh, shift workers, could be addressed uh, by the, uh, these results uh, and these strategies to reduce uh, reduce the association between shift work and cardiovascular events.
1: Dan, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And again, that paper's online for free on bmj.com. That's all for this week. Next week, we'll be back asking if regulation is slowing down new drug development. Join us then. For more
0: information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.